This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash mission log. This episode is also brought to you by Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships collection. It's the summer of Trek, and you can win a full year subscription to the Starships collection at getyourtrekon.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 243, Interface. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. Uh, Ken? Hmm? That's your line. Oh, I know. I was just, uh, I was enjoying the lacuna. Hmm. You do that. Each week on Mission Log, we pick apart an episode of Star Trek, hunting down the morals, meanings, messages contained therein, and seeing if the whole thing stands a test of time. This week, Interface. The one where Geordi's mom gets lost, but Geordi gets to play with a state-of-the-art VR rig, so it's all good. Also, Geordi sees his mom. John's got trivia coming up in just a bit, but first... But first! A word from Blue Apron, a better way to cook. You must get so excited when we do these ads because you are like the foodiest foodie I know. <laughs> I, I, love, I love food. I, I think I'm, I'm not surprising our audience by saying I love food and I love to eat. Yeah. And in fact, I cooked some Blue Apron the other night. I came home really late. And I was hungry, and I had an early morning, and I thought, you know what? I can whip this together in no time. And it was delicious. It was an endive salad with a, a Dijon mustard dressing and then a mushroom tartine with ricotta cheese and a fried egg. It absolutely hit the spot. And it was one of those that's so good, I would make it again on my own. But how convenient for me that I had that food already portioned out, already ready to go from Blue Apron. And, of course, the other thing is you can actually make that again because even though they're not going to send you the same ingredients to make the same thing, um, you get that really cool recipe card that goes with it. So you will know, even though they send you like the stuff you know, prepackaged, they send it measured out, but they also tell you how much you're using. So if you decide, hey, I'm going to make that whole thing again – uh, you know, just jot all that down on a list and go to the store and you can make it as uh, as much as you want to. Uh, Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient recipe delivery service in the country. And they just like like anywhere in the continental U.S. Is it anywhere or 99 percent? I think of the continental U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can take food right to your door. And it's good food because they've partnered with farms that practice regenerative farming. Uh, you know, the meat is responsibly raised. You know, the um, you know, the fish actually is being um Ah, what's the term I'm looking for? I'm sorry. Uh, sustainably sourced. Thank you. That is, that so, is the yeah, term. So, yeah, partnered with the Monterey Bay Aquarium, so you know that what you're getting is um, it, it is not endangered. I mean, they're taking good care of the food that comes to you and making sure that, um, that you can feel good about it. And, of course, uh, it, you know, John says things like ricotta and endive <laughs> and you think well this is going to cost me a ton of money well it's going to cost you something obviously but um each one comes out to ten dollars per person per meal so it's really not i mean you're, you're not breaking the bank in fact if you go out to eat a lot you're going to be saving money by doing this and having a good time doing it and let me tell you a couple of the things coming up because this all sounds really good to me uh beef teriyaki stir fry with sugar snap peas and lime rice Three cheese and baby broccoli stromboli with tomato and oregano dipping sauce and crispy salmon and roasted potato salad with pickled mustard seeds and creme fraiche sauce. This is all speaking directly to me, Ken. I'm very excited about that. (laughs) So what we would, of course, love for people to do is to check out this week's menu on their own and uh, get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash mission log. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Do it now. That's blueapron.com slash mission log. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And a huge thanks to Blue Apron for sponsoring this week's show. 
John's got trivia coming up in just a moment. But first, but first, you already did that part, didn't you? <laughs> ah, we did. We'll do it again. Yeah. We'll, we'll do it throughout the show. Right, that's quite all right. Now, you think that should be a thing? You know, we'll find out. Maybe it'll go hand mm-hmm. in hand with the lacuna. Mm. I'm going to tell you how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And now, without further ado, John Champions Trivia. Again, today's episode, Interface, was written by Joe Minoski. And this is one of those stories that got kicked around for a number of years until they found the right fit. Uh, Let's see, at one point it would have been Riker in the suit. Uh, remember, because he's got some daddy issues, too. And uh, But really, Riker, they determined, had been through enough already. And Jordy, maybe not quite enough. So um, the last script of Joe's that we discussed was Suspicions. Uh, but this one kind of went through a lot of other people on the writing staff. Uh, Rene Echevarria worked on this script as well. He was uncredited. Um, the scene between Riker and LaForge was written by Jerry Taylor. Uh, they realized that they were running short. And then something like three weeks later, they just said, oh, we, we should shoot something. So Jerry Taylor wrote that scene. And uh, she is the one who pointed out that we had met family members of literally everyone else in the main cast, except for Jordy. Hmm. So why not give him a chance here? And uh, Ronald D. Moore, on the other hand, uh, not so much a fan of that idea or of this episode. Now, this was directed by Robert Weimer, and uh, we last talked about his work and our coverage of Lessons. And you know that I love my ship names. Well, in this episode, we have the USS Raman, named after Indian physicist Sir Chandra Sekhara Venkata Raman. Not bad, right? Uh, He won the Nobel Prize for Physics in 1930, having to do with his study of light-changing wavelength when going through a transparent material. Uh, Let's see, we also have the USS Hera, uh, a name which needs no introduction, but we will anyway. Hera was the OG original goddess in Greek mythology. She's married to Zeus. She's a queen of Mount Olympus, and she's the goddess of women and marriage. Ladies and gentlemen, Hera. And uh, just to mention a couple of other names, we have the USS Noble and our old friend, the USS Excelsior. Now, let's talk about guest stars. We have Warren Munson as Admiral Holt. Warren is New York-born and has made the rounds on soap operas, TV guest roles, and feature films since the mid-60s. Interestingly, this is his first Star Trek appearance, but it won't be his last. We will see him as another admiral in Voyager when we get to that series, and that role will, in turn, be handed over to a different actor. Madge Sinclair plays Geordi's mom, Silva LaForge, and We actually already saw Madge in Star Trek IV. She was uncredited, but she was the captain of the Saratoga. Now, Madge appeared with LeVar Burton uh, no fewer than four times, but uh, one standout 1977's One in a Million, the Ron LaFora story, as well as in Roots. Hold that thought for just a moment, okay? Uh, She also appeared in one of my favorite comedies, John Landis' 1988 hit, Coming to America, She passed away in 1995 at the age of 57. And finally, Ben Vereen plays Geordi's father, Dr. LaForge. And yeah, officially he is just doctor, but in the Star Trek encyclopedia, he has the name Edward. The man is a legend of stage and screen, Tony Award winner, star of TV and film, lecturer, hell of a dancer and singer. Uh, He's an ordained minister. Seriously, the guy can do it all. Um, he was also in another of my favorite movies, All That Jazz. See, hang on, hang mm-hmm. on. Yeah? If All That Jazz is one of your favorites, how did you not mm-hmm. say, this man is a great humanitarian? <laughs> <laughs> what was it? A great humanitarian. Yeah. I can't remember what the next one is. And my personal friend for over 30 years, ladies and yes, gentlemen, Mr. Yes. Ben Vereen. 
That is pretty great. That's that's good. That's good. Yeah, everybody go see all that jazz. <laughs> well, line. kids, ask your parents, please. In fact, sure, kids, sure. don't go see all that jazz. But, you know, adults, yeah, if you haven't done it, oh, you're missing out. Such an awesome movie. Now, I told you a moment ago to remember that Madge Sinclair was in Roots. Okay, let's look at the family tree here that Alex Haley outlined. Madge Sinclair played Belle Reynolds, who was the grandmother of Chicken George, played by Ben Vereen. And how does LeVar fit into this, since he was nominated for an Emmy for that same show? He played Kunta Kente, who was married to Belle Reynolds, and therefore Chicken George's grandfather, though in the timeline of the show, John Amos had assumed that role of the older Kunta Kente. For some reason, I have the song, I Am My Own Grandpa, stuck in my circuits. Prologue. Jordy's playing in virtual reality, in reality. He's, wait for it, interfaced with a small probe that's able to perform various functions in situations too dangerous for people. Everything he experiences through the probe is really realistic to Jordy probably because they can plug the interface straight into the receptors for his visor, which are plugged straight into his cerebral cortex. Also, he's wearing a bodysuit that lets him feel conditions around the probe rather than just see them. Data, Dr. Crusher, and Commander Riker have been monitoring the test of the probe interface system, and Riker deems it a success. This will apparently come in handy on Merigny 7, where the Enterprise is headed. Act 1. Merigny 7 is a gas giant planet, and the science vessel Raman is trapped in its turbulent atmosphere. The plan is to use Geordi's interface probe, survey the situation, and see what he can do about rescuing the ship and its crew. The Raman's plan had been to go deep into the planet's atmosphere, take some readings, then leave. Something must have gone wrong. They'll have to push the limits of the probe interface and Geordi's nervous system, but it should be fine. Good meeting, everybody. Now, if you'll excuse me, I gotta take a call. Admiral Holt is on the line for Captain Picard. It's not a social call, though. The Hera left nine days ago on a routine mission. Four days ago, it disappeared without a trace. Starfleet's been looking for it for the last three days. It'll keep looking for another three, but they're assuming that ship and crew are lost. That would include the ship's captain, Silva LaForge. Geordi's mom... Picard gives Geordi the news. Act 2. Geordi's watching a message from his mom from a few weeks ago. He's also beating himself up for not having responded to it. Commander Riker offers to run the probe to the Raman instead of Geordi, but Geordi won't hear it. It's his job, and besides, his mom's not dead, as far as anybody knows. She's just missing. He's the best shot at saving the Raman, so let's get to it. And they do. They're already having to push the interface to 75% of tolerance so Geordi can see. His vitals are up, but Crusher's keeping a close watch. The interior of the Raman is a mess. Geordi thinks there might be a break in the hull. He's found a guy trapped under some rubble. He can move the rubble once Data pushes the interface to 80% of tolerance. Sadly, the crewman is dead. As are the other crew members Geordi finds behind the sealed bulkhead. Suddenly, there's a fire. Geordi feels it, thanks to the suit and the probe. And that's enough for Crusher. She pulls Geordi out of the interface, though when he's back to reality, all are surprised to see that his hands are actually burned. Act 3. Don't worry, there's a tech-the-tech explanation for the burns. Basically, they were running the interface tolerance so high and Geordi's response was so intense that the suit created a feedback loop. Picard still wants to retrieve the Ramon and her crew, though he's worried about sending Geordi in again. Geordi and Crusher say he should be fine as long as they run the interface tolerance lower. Picard takes their word for it. The probe should be ready again in a couple of hours, giving Geordi time to call his dad. The call could have gone better. Geordi's dad is talking about a memorial service for Geordi's mom, though Geordi says until he hears definitively that his mom's dead... He's assuming she might still be found. Meanwhile, Data is studying the poetry of ancient Ducidarians. Much of their poetry contains lacunae, or empty spaces. These can last minutes or days. Observers are encouraged to really grok the emptiness of the experience. 
data is in the midst of a 47-minute lacuna when Jordy stops by to say hi. Really? Say hi? Do you not want to talk about your mother? Asked Data. Nope, says Jordy. Really? Asked Data. Really? Says Jordy. Who then proceeds to chastise Data for not pushing hard enough on whether Jordy wants to talk about his mother because, of course, he does. If he was looking for consolation, Jordy's come to the wrong guy. Because Data's not a guy. He's an android. No, Jordy, you're not crazy for thinking your mom might be alive, but you're probably wrong. Enjoy the lacuna. Back now to the interface, this time with a low level of tolerance, just barely enough for Jordy to see his mom on the Ramon. Act 4. Jordy's mom seems as surprised to see Jordy as he is to see her. Also, she says they have to go down to the surface. We're dying, she says. We need your help. I need your help. Of course, back on the Enterprise, Dr. Crusher and Data are only hearing Geordi's half of the conversation. They're about to pull him out of the interface when Geordi goes limp. The interface cutoff was automatically activated when Geordi, in probe form, reached for his mother and sort of overloaded. The real Geordi is in neural shock. Naturally, he's fine in the next scene, though Crusher says she wouldn't want to subject him to that again. Picard is curious about what caused Geordi's hallucination, though Geordi's all, it wasn't a hallucination, it was my mom. Kind of. Data says there was no other human on board the Ramon, and Geordi agrees. The Hera is on the surface. They must have found a way to broadcast up to the Ramon, just as the Enterprise was broadcasting down. Dr. Crusher tosses a lot of medical jargon Geordi's way. Basically, she thinks he saw his mom, but that was probably just his brain trying to make sense of stuff, not his actual mom. Data says even if the Hera is on the planet's surface, it couldn't stand the atmospheric pressure. All that's enough for Picard. He is not letting Geordi go in again. He orders Data to find another way to save the Ramon, and he orders Geordi to talk with Counselor Troy. Deanna has a theory. Jordy doesn't want to believe that his mom is dead, so his brain is showing him his mom in need of help. He figures his brain would show him his mom safe and sound, but Deanna counters, if it did that, the ride would be over, and he'd have to accept that his mom was gone. The harder it is to save her, the more complex the situation, the longer he can believe she's still alive. Not surprisingly, Jordy disagrees, though his counter theory is... Very complex. The Hera had a sort of hotshot young engineer that was always tweaking stuff. What if a particular experiment interacted with the Hera's drive to create a sort of subspace funnel that ended with the Hera on the surface of Merigny 7? Data says that that's technically possible, but nearly impossible. So they'll not be going back for the Hera. They'll use a couple of shuttles to pull the Raman up instead. Picard tells Geordi that he feels for him, but his mind's made up. He cannot let Geordi risk his life on a dubious hypothesis. Riker has a bit of sharing time with Geordi. You know, he had a hard time accepting the death of his own mother. Thanks? Geordi makes a legit point. In the case of Riker's mom, there was a body. In the case of Geordi's mom, there's just mystery. Also, he's talked to someone on the Ramon who looks and sounds like his mom, calling herself his mom, so this might be a little different. You'll never guess what happens next. Geordi goes to power the probe interface on his own. Data figured he would, and he comes to stop him. You'll never guess what happens next, next. Data helps Geordi do what he's got to do. Data does have one request, though. Consider the possibility that what you see on the Ramon is not real. Jordy promises he will. Act 5. Back on the Ramon, and there's Jordy's mom. She says she's not actually there. She's broadcasting up from the surface. As for how they got there, she explains. The Hera had a hotshot young engineer that was always tweaking stuff. A particular experiment interacted with the Hera's drive to create a sort of subspace funnel that ended with the Hera on the surface of Merigny 7. And Jordy's like, wow, that is awesome almost exactly 
word for word what I was just saying on the Enterprise a little while ago. Now he's got a plan to start some sort of uh, something that'll basically end with the Hera back where it started a few days ago. All of that starts by taking the Raman lower into the planet's atmosphere. Data says he may not be able to bring the Raman back from that, but he has to try. Of course, the further the probe moves from the Enterprise, the more Data has to increase the gain, otherwise Geordi will lose contact. And, of course, when he gets low enough, there's no sign of the Hera. Also, Picard and Crusher are wise to the caper being pulled by Geordi and Data. They come up with a plan to bring Geordi out safely, though he argues. He's not talking to his mother. It turns out that the being Geordi is talking to is a life form native to Merigny 7. They live in a lower level of the atmosphere. When the Raman dipped low for readings, the life forms were accidentally picked up. When the Raman went higher, they were trapped, in danger, dying. They did kill the Raman's crew, though it was apparently an accident. Geordi explains all of this to Picard. He needs to take the Raman lower to save these intelligent beings. When they're low enough, the beings do leave the Raman, with the one who appeared to be Geordi's mom telling Geordi goodbye. Luckily, Crusher's found a way to safely pull Geordi out of the interface, like a decompression chamber for his brain. While Picard is likely happy that Geordi is recovered, he is not happy. The actions of this week's episode will go into the engineer's permanent record. On a personal note, Picard says he's sorry that Geordi didn't find his mother, though Geordi says the interaction with the alien was so real, he feels like he had a chance to say goodbye. The end. Deep Space 3. There's <laughs> so many deep spaces out there. They, I'm, yeah. I, I, we haven't counted yet. I'm going to say there might be 47 of them. Oh, good Lord. Well, no, I mean, because here's the thing. We've talked about this. I know novels, not novels, whatever. But um, mm-hmm. in an alternate timeline, uh, Riker actually ends up the commander of Deep Space 86. Whoa. So at least in, I, I don't know if novels count as canon or not. We don't talk about the novels, generally speaking. But We don't talk about canon either, because... No, yeah. well then, tag with it. There are at least <laughs> 86 of them. I know there are at least right. 86, because I read about it in a book one time. Cool. Well, hey, only 83 more to go. Ha, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, so I have a question. Who mm-hmm. among senior staff should actually still have a job aboard the Enterprise? <laughs> Uh, the only hmm. one I can think of is Riker, and I may be okay. forgetting something here, all right? And I'm including okay. Picard in this, I think, as well, because, I mean, I love Picard's redemption after Locutus. Yeah. But would he really be allowed to command the Enterprise again after being taken over by the Borg and costing the Federation, I'm going to guess, 47 starships? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say no. He probably needs a desk job. Yeah. yeah. He would probably be bumped up to Admiral, honestly, because you know mm-hmm. how useless they tend to be. Yep. They had an admiral call the captain to let him know that a ship was missing. Yeah, right. right. I mean, so, yeah. so they're really up to like a lot of top-notch, you know, heavy lifting. So mm-hmm. here's the thing. Um, Crusher stole a shuttle mm-hmm. and flew it into a sun, of course, yep. like, like you do. Like you do. Geordi uh, yeah. did the thing with the probe in this episode, right? right? Lost them the Raman. Now, I understand he ended up saving some other things, but he lost them the Raman based sure. on nothing but what seemed like a hallucination. Right. Uh, Data's hijacked the Enterprise more times than I can remember. It's like every other week. Yeah, yeah and, and Worf mm. straight up killed a guy in front of Riker one time. Mm. I know Had it, was, it coming. He'd have battled. Yeah, no, I mean, the yeah. guy, <laughs> yeah. uh, he probably visited Talos 4 at some point. He needed to die, apparently. Right. But yeah, I mean, right. I'm trying to think of, like, would anybody... Now, is there something I'm forgetting about Riker? Oh, and I guess Troy actually gets to stay put, too. Because I don't think she's oh, okay. done anything that would actually cost her her job to this yeah. point. Well... No, because that was Man of the People. It wasn't her fault. She was actually taken over by somebody in something. Hmm. You know, I, I think that after 12 years of this mission, I say they all get back to Earth, and there's somebody, some admiral, I'm sure, or maybe mm-hmm. a commodore, mm-hmm. who, who's reading the records of what happened on the Enterprise and, and just aghast <laughs> at, at this crew. <laughs> And they're all just sort of like, what, you you mean this isn't normal? That This thing doesn't, I mean, people don't take over their own ships all the time and right. fly shuttles into suns? What, what do you mean? What do you Listen mean? here, you awesome. desk jockey. You haven't been on yeah. space in a very long time. Well, I mean, except here we are on Deep Space 3. So, okay, you're in space. But still. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, Jordy has this great line. He says it's he's talking about in the VR suit, all the you know stimulation that he's getting from that. It's it's like being on a roller coaster or or a first date. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, like a like a first date where it's fun and and I'm not totally creeping someone out. I mean, I mean, is that what dates are like? Because I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because he said it was like being on a first date. And I half expected uh, Dr. Crusher to say, and you know a lot about first dates. Right. <laughs> first right. dates. Yes. yes. First. And yeah. there. Does it count yeah. if there's no second, though? Is it a first date at that point or is it just a date? It's just a date. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. So maybe right. he thinks he doesn't know anything about a first date because he's rarely been on a second. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, the poor Hera. I'm thinking we should obviously be concerned that anyone or any ship would just disappear. But honestly, it seems like this kind of thing happens all the time in the world of Star Trek. There's a lot of attention around this. Clearly, we know why. It's part of the story in this one. But it, but it does seem like on any other week, the fact that a ship is missing is just sort of like the throwaway line to get the other action started. See, I'm not sure that that's actually... A ship being destroyed, I would say that that's the case, but I don't remember a ship just like, oh, yeah, now we don't know what happened to that one. Hmm. I mean, that really is it. And then you're only talking about what? I mean, so uh, presumably they knew where they were going, right? Right. Which means they would probably know about how they were going to get there. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about, so they disappeared four days ago. Starfleet's been looking for them for three days. Mm-hmm. They're going to look for three more days. That means like one week. Yeah. That's the total amount of time they're going to take to look for this ship before they're like, eh. Yep. Look, Just space is big. I mean, we yeah. can't. <laughs> right. How, you know, it, it really big, actually. You just wouldn't believe how mind-bogglingly big space is. That's for you Hitchhikers fans right there. That's what that is. <laughs> that was good. That was good. I, I'm sure that they registered a flight plan before they left. Yeah, you'd think, wouldn't you? you know? You'd think. And you can only veer from that so much. Right. So... It is. Yeah. It, I I'm. I understand that it's for the story, but I'm a little bothered by how quickly they're like, ah, well, they're probably gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, really? Right. And we're not going to look. We're yeah. not going to check. We're not going to, because, you know, they might have created a subspace funnel, which. Um, yeah, right. Oh, yeah. I guess that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine, like, just, well, I don't know. It's weird to think what might be happening to that ship that just inexplicably disappeared, right? Don't want to know. Like, are they, like, making their way, like, from, like, a whole other quadrant of the galaxy, maybe, back to the Federation? Oh. Is oh, that wait, possible? Wait a minute. That's, Could something wow. like that ever even happen? It would take decades. You know, that may or may not be a good basis for a show. I'm not sure. Huh. Yeah. Shelve that. We'll come back to it. <laughs> maybe we yeah. will. Hey, uh, Jordy says the Warp core in the Hera has a reputation for strange side effects. I, I, I'm sorry. My hand is up here in the back. I have a question. Yeah. Why is Starfleet using warp cores with strange side effects? <laughs> it's, I think that's a legitimate question to Thank ask, you. Ken. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate that. I wish that. somebody had an answer for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> if, if I'm looking at all the ships lined up and somebody says, okay, we're going to assign you to a ship, I'm going to say, let me take the one that the warp core works totally normally. Right. That's the one that I'll take. Yeah. Uh, this one's small, but the engine's iffy. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Hmm. You know, I'm, I'm thinking a desk job might not be the worst thing now that you mm-hmm. mention it. Uh, speaking of desk jobs, it's not a desk thing, but um, you're an interior design guy. Yeah, yeah. I do. I do. I do love design almost as much as you're a foodie. Almost, not quite, but yeah. Boy, is Deanna's office ugly in this episode. I mean, just <sighs> ugly. U G L Y. There is absolutely no alibi. It's ugly. Uh, so many sponge patterns and pastels mm-hmm. going on in here, mm-hmm. and and like that sectional. Is she doing like counseling for a family of eight? I mean, it's it's like it's not even normally where she is. I don't know where they are in this. It feels like the waiting room of a twenty fourth century Olive Garden or something. Yeah, it, it was. It, here's the thing: I avoided writing anything down about that <laughs> because I knew I would just go on and on and okay. on. Well, sorry then. Oh, no, no, no. Now now you got me started. So, um, yeah, buckle up. Uh, It's not, no, it's not. We should actually, I mean, it's not important. It's just bad. Here's why it stands out. This episode actually has a lot of really nice photography and a lot of nice production design in it. Mm -hmm. There are shots of Jordy as the probe that are these long Steadicam shots. And you have this dark, mysterious lighting. And for some reason, they go into Deanna's room, which looks 
terrible. I mean, it, it is right up there with that bad season one wallpaper, that level of terrible. But it's shot in a really flat way where it's like a Universal Studios production from 1978, where everything is just super white lighting, mm-hmm. very flat. And there was one shot where Jordy is just sort of standing straight on with his back to the wall. And yeah. it just, it might as well be color forms at that point. It's bad. I would be it's bad. really curious to know why that ended up being the set, how that ended up being the set. I mean, and that's for like a level of nerd that's beyond nerd. Because, I mean, yeah. you've got to be talking about something. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been a long time. Maybe, maybe the, uh, the bridge of the Romulan ship is the last time there were so many questionable design choices. But at oh, least yes. the bridge of the Romulan oh, yes. ship, at the very least there, you could say, okay, well, that's weird art direction, but at least the shots were okay. Yeah, this sure. This was like, uh, this was um, not pretty. Yeah. yeah, it was an unholy combination. Um, so I, I'm sure that we'll talk a bit about the VR contrivance in this episode. Um, mm-hmm. And I understand doing things for dramatic effect, um, so it was an interesting choice to have Jordy as Jordy and without the visor to tip you off that this is VR Jordy, not right. real Jordy. Um, so I understand that idea, but why would Jordy as the probe be able to have a conversation with his mother that the people on the Enterprise couldn't hear? Because that, that raises this whole other question about how is he interfacing with that probe? If he thinks it, does the probe say it? But then there are other things that he says as the probe that people in the VR room can hear mm-hmm. because he's talking to them. So not entirely consistent in that, but it, it did make me say, okay, well, he's having this whole conversation, but nobody on the other end can hear it. So who is actually having that conversation? Because if he can think it and the probe can say it, that's pretty outstanding. That is pretty cool. But then he's just... It, well, that's a really long lacuna then for anybody who's in, in the interface right. room with him. It, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you raised some interesting questions, and I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to raise my hand to the back of the class and say, mm-hmm. why would Data, in his right state of mind, which he is in this episode, he hasn't been taken over by lore or anything else, why would Data violate protocol and help Jordy? Does friendship override his logic? Because he knows it's wrong. He knows he's going to get in trouble. He knows Jordy will get in trouble. <laughs> but is he just a softy at this point? Is he just a softy because his friend is is hurt? Well, I mean, he actually does present an interesting point to Jordy. Mm-hmm. He says, I cannot have you confined to quarters for something you have not yet done. Now, I know that's just Data sort of like giving himself an out so that he can yeah. help Jordy's plan of action. I will yeah. say, though, when he uttered those words, I thought, you know... Kirk might actually have a shot. <laughs> Kirk's word jujitsu, you know, where he yeah, would just like yeah. where he would like shut down like a planet-sized computer or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe Data says that out loud to Kirk and he's like, "Well, hang on. You're right." Mhm. And it's like, "Uh-uh, not so right. fast." Right. And then yeah. Data's head just pops off because he can like he right. can draw the whole thing out and realize, "Well, that's what's going to happen anyway, so I might as well go ahead and pop it off now." Yeah. See, not that long ago, we saw Crusher in a position where she was stripped of her rank and she was getting help kind of on the down low. Mm -hmm. So I I could see, uh, uh, seeing as how Dr. Crusher was the other one helping Jordy with the VR rig, that she would actually do something like that. It would make a lot of sense for her. She's emotionally, you know, bonded to her fellow crewmates, and this is something that was done for her. So she might be kind of paying it forward to Jordy. Data, Data had a little uh, had a little more trouble with. Okay, now see, we're going to have to do that thing. Unfortunately, oh no, really? Okay. Well, we do. We have to because right, because Riker's whole thing where he was like, you know, my mom, blah 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 blah. And that's mm-hmm. really how that scene played for me, was blah, 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 blah. Mm. If, if you actually want it to be Crusher who's helping Jordy, then she can talk about how difficult it was when she heard that Jack was dead. Mm-hmm. And for those days, mm-hmm. until they brought him back, she kept holding out hope that, you know, maybe there was this, or maybe there was that, or maybe there was the other. Because you're right, logically, there's no way Data should be doing this. Unless they're trying to make us ask again whether or not Jordy ha- Data has emotion, excuse me, which we're not going to do. Nope, um, nope, nope. Yeah, had they done that with Crusher, that would have actually been uh, that would have been quite compelling, or potentially mm-hmm. quite compelling. 
Um, but, you know, they took a different road. Yep. The lacuna in Dusidarian poetry is the artistic version of a page that says, intentionally left blank. Also, intentionally left blank is my missing person's cover band. Hey, we've almost arrived at that segment of the show where we get into the deep discussion about the morals, meanings, and messages. But first... But middle... It's I, time for a word. I, well, yeah, because because we did, but first at first, you see. Okay, but I oh, I thought so, this was going to be a show full of but firsts. No, no, but middle. It's time to talk about the Eagle Moss uh, Starship Collection because you know why. You know why. It's the summer of Trek. That's right. So they're they're marking the launch of the hundredth vessel. You remember it, Ken? It's the USS Horizon, which yes. I love. Yeah, so it's the 100th vessel in the official Star Trek Starships collection. And uh, Eagle Moss, of course, is inviting fans from across the generations, yeah, I said that, <laughs> to get your Trek on in the Summer of Trek sweepstakes. And you can check it out at getyourtrekon.com slash mission log. Tell them what they can win, Ken. Uh, well, lots of different things, right? I mean, yeah. grand prize winners will get a full one-year subscription to the Starships collection. Which is kind of awesome. So that's what? That would be like 24 ships, right? Because it's, mm-hmm. it's two a month. So yep. 24 tiny little starships can be yours just for going there and entering. Um, other winners will get selections of those models, plus graphic novels, digital comics, all kinds of stuff. Uh, we said this the last time we talked about it. Literally hundreds of prizes available. You've heard us talk so excitedly, genuinely, about how much we love the official Star Trek Starships collection from Eagle Moss. We encourage you to check them out, but this is your chance. This is your chance to go win something incredibly cool from them, and you can do that at getyourtrekon.com slash mission log. That address, one more time, getyourtrekon.com slash mission log. Go there and check it out. Seriously. The quality of this stuff is just nuts. Like, it's nuts. <laughs> and it's affordable, too. That's the other thing. I mean, like, you look at it and you're like, well, I could never afford something like that. And it turns out you could. So, yeah, check out what they've got. But, you know, don't even think about the price right now because it's your chance to win. As John said, get your trek on.com slash mission log. And we do thank Eagle Moss for sponsoring this episode of Mission Log. All right, Ken, let's talk about how cool the probe idea is in this episode. Yeah, I said cool. I said cool. Because we always wondered why on Star Trek they didn't have more robots Mm -hmm. or remote devices. Like, like let's say say your uh, second-in-command leaves the bridge to go fix a radiation problem in the engine room. Mm Mm-hmm. You don't, you don't want that to happen. You would rather have a robot or a probe or, or some sort of remote device go do that because you don't want to lose a valuable member of your crew. So it just seems like you would have this kind of thing everywhere. So I like the idea that this episode is taking on that challenge. Um, now, question, does it make any sense to have that thing tied into someone's nervous system? So isn't this the whole idea of personal safety by using a probe now i I do realize that jordy's eyes make him a unique candidate Mm -hmm. because you can feed the video information directly into his head but uh shouldn't there just be people monitoring information rather than trying to feel it so one way one way i might say that, that 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 there's a bad idea here is uh there should probably not be a thing that generates that much heat on jordy's hands (laughs) <laughs> well, let's let's yeah. There wasn't anything that generated that much heat on Jordy's hands. It created a tech the tech loop of it did. some sort. It did. Yeah, that yep. was a mistake because he actually didn't yeah. have anything on his hands. No, it, yeah, which, it, it showed that there are wires on top, and then all of a sudden he's got burned hands underneath. Right. It's yeah. actually kind of odd, actually, because he uses his hands to pick things up, but he does not have any sensory suit over his hands. Gloves, mm-hmm. you would have thought, would be the easiest part of that suit to make. Right. right. You would think that. Yeah. See, here's the thing. I love that you think this is cool. Um, I'm having a bit of problem with it because, I mean, I jokingly said that it's a VR rig. 
but it really is a VR rig, and that's great, except we've already got the best VR rig imaginable in the holodeck. Yes. And we yes. also know that the holodeck can jack straight into your neural cortex, and you don't even need to have visors or implants for visors. Just ask Lieutenant Barclay. Mm-hmm. Because this happened. I can't remember which episode that was, but he basically just did a complete interface with yeah, the uh, uh, with the Enterprise computer. The the nth degree he did that. Is that the one? And yeah, it is the one, yeah. Yeah. And um yeah, no, that that would be ideal because you have the, the Enterprise in real time creating that environment for you. Mm-hmm. And all you would need is to place cameras and, and whatever other probes on that other ship. Now, we do know that the holodeck also will uh, try to kill you, uh, given a lack of safety protocols, mm-hmm. which they're always going to push. But I thought, okay, picture this in the modern world. So everyone at Mission Control... Uh, for a NASA probe, like let's say the one on Mars. Okay, so now um, you have specialists reading every bit of information from temperature to uh, you know lighting to environmental uh, objects, uh, whatever is in the probe's way to uh, gases on Mars. So let's say that next time instead of a bunch of scientists sitting around reading all of that on a monitor, uh, when it's dark, we turn off all the lights. Um, if it's sulfur that the probe encounters, we make it smell terrible for the scientists who are looking at that information. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the guy who reads the temperature, just put him in a really cold room and let him try to experience it for himself. All right. All right. Mm-hmm. See, I think there's actually something to this. I just have a problem with the whole suit thing. And I can't help wondering if it's like, because this was 93, right? Yeah. All right. So virtual reality is still hot in like 93. Virtual reality is a new idea. I mean, it honestly mm-hmm. struck me like this almost felt like a they wanted to show something really neat that was kind of going on right now. And so they put him in this VR suit, which we were seeing in all you know kinds of horrible movies in the early 1990s. <laughs> For right. Sure. But I mean, yes. it was a neat, it was a neat sort of like, hey, this is a place where science is going. The only problem is we're on a ship that's got four holodecks. I mean, they've yeah. already done like way past virtual reality. You could say they've done virtual reality, too. The nth degree, if you wanted to be, mm. uh, yeah, I like you how you tied that cute back about out. it. Well, thank you very much. I mean, yeah. it's not. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry to solve the technical problems, but this is a technical problem that was solved when we were on the first episode, when we were in a counter at Farpoint. When we come across data in the holodeck, and he's whistling, and the holodeck is completely real. Mm-hmm. Then why do I need to tie into a probe that goes down someplace? Why not just have that send all the information back up to the ship and like render it in the holodeck? And then a bunch of us could be there actually looking around as opposed to one guy. Right. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah no, it <laughs> absolutely. No, it that that's it would be like if somebody came and said, Captain, I have invented a way for us to go warp three. Yeah. Right. And Picard's like, dude, we got a warp core. We yeah, like we, this one goes to eleven. We can go least. like warp nine, nine yeah. point something maybe. We don't mm-hmm. try to get all the way to nine point nine because then we end up going back in time or something weird. But mm-hmm. opening up a wormhole of our own apparently. But I mean, it's just yeah. it, it's. I mean, I'm not going to say that the entire episode was undone by that, but it struck me as odd that it's like here's this new thing we've got that's really kind of a crappy version of this other thing that we already had. But yeah, let's play with it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I. Yeah, it's. Well, we will come back to that in our wrap up. I am certain of it. Um, let's talk about uh, Jordy's journey in this episode. So mm-hmm. um, there is. See, here's the thing. You talked about how you didn't like the scene with Riker. I, I think the scene with Riker is perfectly fine. Um, and I, I also like that scene with Data asking Jordy if he needs to be comforted. And then Jordy's very human process in that scene, which is saying no, and then yes. Because sometimes when you don't want to talk about the thing, you really need to talk about the thing. Mm -hmm. And it's uncomfortable, uh, but that's what he needed. I I felt like that was a a genuine moment. All right, I'm just going to be the... Negative. No, you, you disagree. I'm going to be the negative no, no, net no. all the way through this episode. I, I have that's a problem. With, once again, we are teaching uh, data bad things about humanity. It seems to me some really okay. terrible stuff about humanity. So data asked, "Yeah, hey, do you want to talk about it?" And Jordy's like, "No, I don't want to talk about it." And then data's like, "Really? Because it would make sense if you wanted to talk about it." And Jordy's like, "No, I really don't want to talk about it." 
And then Data's like, all right, well, let's talk about this poem I'm reading or not reading, mm-hmm. you know, right. while I'm waiting for yeah. the poem to start again. And then, right. and Jordy's like, well, you gave up too easily there, Data. Really, what you should have done was press me to ask if I want to talk about it. Okay, well, dude, I asked you, and I asked you again. I mean, there are ways that that scene could have gone okay to me. Mm-hmm. It, it was the part where Jordy chastised Data for it. I think that bothers me. Because personal aside, if you don't actually want to know how I'm doing, don't ask me. Because I don't tend to say fine unless I'm actually Mm -hmm. fine. And then this happens seriously wherever I am. I actually had a guy, uh, a cashier, ask me how I was doing. And I told him. And he was like, (laughs) wow, you're honest. And I'm like, well, you asked. Dude, what? So, I mean, it it really bothered me for, for Jordy to... Because Data actually did a very human thing there. He said, are you okay? Yeah. And Jordy said, yes. And Data actually then said, are you sure? And Jordy said, yeah, lay off. <laughs> yeah. And Data's like, all right, cool, man. And then Jordy's like, well, you're really bad at this human thing because I totally need you to ask a third time. <laughs> Which... Maybe exactly what it takes. And that's what it took. So, I, I look, I'm going to cut him some slack. The guy is going through an emotional thing. Yeah. Okay, yes, but the writers weren't. That's my problem that I'm having. Uh, anyway, go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't know if the yeah, writers okay. are going through an emotional thing or not. But, yeah, I mean, they're, yeah. I don't know why. I don't know. I don't want to jump to the end. I apparently had a couple of problems with this episode, John. That's fine. <laughs> All that's right. fine. I, you know, you can, do you want to talk about it? No, I'm good. Okay, you, you, you sure you don't want to talk about it? Because it sounds like you want to talk about okay, it. Okay, I really don't want to talk about it. So don't ask me again, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> cool, then I'm just going to move on with my other point. Um, Dude, I, I totally want to is... talk about this. What's oh, wrong with you? God, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's... Uh, Obviously, there's debatable stuff about this episode and the premise of the episode, but I'm really glad that we have this as a Geordie episode because it it only took seven seasons, but I feel like we actually know a little more about Geordie, or even if we don't know more about him, we gave him some depth. We we gave Mm -hmm. him a family. We gave him things to feel regret about. Um, We got that early on with Picard. We got that early on with Riker um, to, you know, varying degrees of success. And and that's fine. But at least they attempted. At least they went there. I wonder if we would have felt differently about Geordi and particularly his, oh, let's say other personal problems Mm -hmm. had this episode or an episode of like it had come earlier. Hmm. Where we, we we set up, we, we give Jordy some stuff to deal with. And then does that influence our perception of him? And does that influence the writers as we go forward? Where it's not just like, all right, who's this loser who's creeping out all the women? <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm glad that we got that. Because up until now, we've had quite a bit of the Picard show. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just talking to a friend of mine who was uh, a listener. Hi, Dan, who was complaining that to him, it's becoming a lot of the data show. And I was really glad to come across something that didn't purely focus on them and just gave a little something more to Jordy. But I wish that we had gotten it before. Um, and, and I do like that this is an episode that gives us uh, another look at grief Although I wonder if everyone sort of dismisses Jordy's state a little bit. You know, I, look, we don't break the timeline here ever, not in a million years. <laughs> but but I, I would say that maybe very soon we're going to have a very different approach when we suspect that one of our main characters is dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I felt like in this, they were very eager to say, yeah, look, Jordy, she's gone. You need to get over it. Um, and, and even though there was some sensitivity, at least saying, hey, go to Counselor Troy, she's expecting you. Even Counselor Troy is sort of questioning, well, are you doing all this because you want to believe this? You know, so it, it bothered me a little bit, but I also understood the reality of it. Hmm. You know, well, I mean, we may I may want to go back to what happened a minute ago with um, with data. Yeah. Riker comes in and immediately he's like, listen, if you want to take some time, 
Mm-hmm. And he says, no, I'm good. And so really, until he starts exhibiting signs otherwise, you go ahead and take him at his word, I guess. I don't know. People do that, right? I mean, people deal with grief different ways, including sometimes not dealing with it at all. Eh, yeah. There's a thing that happened recently. I don't, yeah, whatever. A director of a major motion picture, his daughter, I believe it was, killed herself right before the motion picture started. And mm-hmm. so what did he do? He went ahead and directed the picture, except yeah. they got like to the last month of shooting. And then he was like, you know what? Maybe this was not the best idea I ever had. Maybe I needed to go ahead and do something else. But here's the thing. They went ahead and like let him go ahead and run this multi-million dollar you know, extravaganza dealing you know, in, in the height of his grief. And yet that's something that we'll do. I mean, I've known people who go back to work the next day after someone passes away because it's what they know how to do. They want things to be as normal as they possibly can be, right? Mm. And usually a day or two later, they're like, whoa, that was a bad idea. <laughs> I'm going to take some time <laughs> off now. So, I don't know. I mean, at the very least, they did pay lip service to it initially. I mean, Riker did say, listen, I can take care of this. But, of course, mm-hmm. it actually does go to the thing that Troy said, right? Like, if he stops and thinks about it, then he's really going to have to think about it. So, he's just not going to do that. He's going to assume that everything's going to be fine until somebody hands him definitive proof otherwise. Yeah. And I, I think that I... I fully agree with the idea that he's saying, look, I, I, I need to seek this thing out until I have definitive proof. Mm-hmm. Look, this is Star Trek. A weird thing happens to these people every week. <laughs> you know, a starship disappearing is a weird thing. Mm-hmm. And they're ready to say, um, yeah, boy, that, that that's weird. Too bad she's gone. Now we need to move on. And, and you need to deal with it. Can we get to something that I would love to deal with? I would love to, yes. The lacunae. Oh. You want to take a 47-minute break? <laughs> Could we? I didn't know it was an actual thing. I didn't know that lacuna was an actual word. I assumed that they were making up, because who was it? The Dusidarians? The ancient Dusidarians. Yes. It's that poetry? Yeah, that, that's made up. I'm pretty yes. sure that's made up. I didn't know that the lacuna was an actual thing. And then when I was typing it in for the recap, and there was no red squiggly line under it, I was like, What? And so I went and checked, and yeah, it pretty much means what Data said, except the idea of using it, I mean, it's not an artistic term necessarily, it's just a void or a gap or, or a silence or something along those lines. And so the idea of the Ducidarians using it as making a point of being silent, I mean, it has to do with sort of like the whole mindfulness idea that we have currently, right? If you're eating, really eat. Don't eat and watch TV. For God's sake, don't eat at your desk. <laughs> don't eat while you're walking someplace. <laughs> if you eat, eat. If you're eating, rather eat. If you're walking, walk. You know, um, and really just sort of like experiencing the emptiness, I believe is what Data called it. And I got to say, I absolutely love the idea. It, it struck me as a really, as a really wonderful, um, as a really wonderful moment. And kind of... Um, an artistic thing to throw in there as well, because that's basically what everyone is suggesting Jordy do, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, you don't know what's going on, but deal with that right now. Deal with this Deal with this loss or deal with this potential loss. Deal with this silence. It struck me as a neat artistic idea. Yeah. Uh, it's the uh, poetic equivalent of 4 minutes 33 seconds. And that, that's for all you John Cage fans <laughs> out there who are listening to our show. Yeah. All, all eight John had to explain that to me earlier, so I'm sorry. I, I've been sworn to secrecy. I now know what four minutes, 33 seconds is. Um, and if you want to, you'll apparently have to look it up. Good news, though. You can download it on iTunes. Mm-hmm. You can. Weirdest buck 29 you'll ever spend. With the Hera, gone, and the Rahman gone. It is time to see what we can see in Interface. Lacuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. <laughs> Lacuna Matata. A no pass and craze. It means... Good. Good. That's exactly. That was perfect. Yeah. yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you very much. Two shows nightly, uh, except for the days that I do four. 
Hey, it's time for the part of the show where we discuss the messages, morals, and meanings of the episode we have covered and decide for ourselves and, uh, you know, chip into the conversation that maybe you guys are having as well, uh, whether the episode stands the test of time. Uh, the episode in question this week is Interface. Hey, John, does Interface hold up as far as you're concerned? So th- this is one of the more interesting episodes to try to answer that question, as we do every week. Um so we gave a lot of stuff a pass with the original series because we're watching it at such a distance, you know, more than 40 years when we started that part of our journey. And we kind of chalk it up to saying, well, that, that's how TV was made then. And so we focus on story, direction, acting, whatever else we're, we're going to focus on. Um, this episode is partly about a piece of technology. Mm-hmm. that is becoming more of a reality today. It was starting to become a reality when this episode was made, and in the couple of decades since, even more so, and it will only continue to uh, to, to grow, and, and we will see this as a, as a real thing. Um, mm-hmm. And you can't separate that from the story. It, it, it is a major part of that story. Um, you know what's hilarious about that? What's that? Had we been doing this show in 2005, we'd probably be like, virtual reality. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. How do you like that big suit? Oh, I wish you'd had the helmet. Yeah, right. And now we're like, oh, yeah, this is totally happening. I can totally see that. Right. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Right. Because it, it was like totally in favor when this episode came out. Totally fell out of favor. Became like a laughingstock, a joke. And now we're like, oh, yeah, I'm thinking about getting me one of them virtual realities. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So... As a production here, I, I like the production techniques. Um, I, I like having Jordy there instead of the probe, which was kind of cool. We saw it in reflection, and uh, that was partly uh, a budget concern. Well, you're going to put the actor there instead of trying to put an effect there every single time. Um, like I said, I liked a lot of the steady cam that they used in this. Um, and there is something about the bare bones of the story that does hold up. It's about Jordy's journey. And all of that I found interesting. Problem is that, can you even call it a B-plot? I don't know, at the end, the thing with the aliens, the big reveal, it just feels very rushed. Um, mm-hmm. Almost felt like there should have been another scene there um, for a show that was running short already. Um, I... I give it just maybe a barely, just a marginal pass. Um, I, I don't want to dismiss this episode because we get something more about Jordy, and I think that's important. But the the sort of machinations of the episode really don't hold up. So I, I'm just going to go with a if it's a fifty fifty proposition, I'm going to give it a fifty one percent pass. Um, how about you? Uh, no, I don't like it. Okay. I mean, I just don't. I mean, because, again, you're right. It is about technology, but somebody on the writing staff should have said, hang on, we've got this technology already. So what is it that we're doing with this guy? <laughs> and we've actually done this before, again, with Barclay, as you pointed out in the nth degree. I pointed out Barclay, but I couldn't remember the name. So thank you very much for that. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. did like something that you said earlier when you said you wish we had seen this earlier. Because I, again, not unlike last week's episode, I think it was last week, this felt very much to me like a season one, maybe season two episode of Next Gen. And this would have been a great season one or season two episode of Next Gen because we have these aliens like, oh, we accidentally picked them up and they need our help thing. And then we've also deepened Jordy's character because you're right. So far, all Jordy has been is the guy who's hard on Barkley. Or the guy who can't ever do well with the ladies. I mean, the, these are the only two <laughs> things we've ever had about him. Yeah. And so to deepen. Yeah. And his best friends are all imaginary. That's the other thing. Or they're not real. I mean, there's Data. Mm-hmm. There was Leah Brahms. I can't remember who the other one was. But there was a third one that, was, that I was like, these are all made up people that he's bonding with. And you can then go back and ask, okay, so he feels the need to unburden himself emotionally. Of course, he goes to the machine to do that. Yeah. So, I mean, we've accidentally learned stuff about Jordy, like the fact that he can't make real friends. They all have to be imaginary. But aside from that, this would have been a great thing to see in season one or season two to give that character more depth. And then we could maybe refer back to it every second or third season. Like we refer back to Riker's dad issues every second or third season. Mm-hmm. I think where I get a real problem with this, and it's the same thing that we've talked about before, 
what I want my Star Trek to do is, is present me with moral dilemmas or tell me a longer story. Now, what I'd prefer is the moral dilemmas. I would rather have Arena, which is the season one, I believe, episode of the original series where we meet the Gorn. Or I would rather have, well, we'd always rather have the Corbomite maneuver. <laughs> I'd rather have Time Squared. I'd rather have something that gives me personally something to consider. Watching a character go through character development, knowing that next week he is not going to remember that this happened, or probably not going to remember that this happened. I mean, we may have a reference. I assume, I mean, it's Ben Vereen. I have not watched ahead, and it's been years since I've seen it originally, so I don't know if Ben Vereen's going to turn up again. <laughs> My assumption is we're going to discuss Jordy's mom at least one more time. But this is not something that's going to affect him week to week. No, of course. Yeah. I don't really know why we do the character development stories if we're not going to carry the character development further. And in the meantime, and I know this is a complaint that I had towards the end of season six, we're now under 25 episodes left of Star Trek The Next Generation. Please don't waste them on emotional development that we know is not actually going to affect the character and hitting issues that you've hit harder before in different ways. I go back to Half a Life, the one with Timison, the guy who was 60, who, you know, mm -hmm. it's time mm -hmm. for him to die, even though he's got more stuff to do. We dealt with real grieving there. We dealt with the fact that, you know, his daughter was concerned that she wouldn't know how to grieve if he didn't do everything that he was supposed to do the way he was supposed to do it. Yes, you get some stuff out of Jordy here as far as like, I'm not going to deal with this until I have to deal with it. But guess what? At the end of the episode, there's still no body. There's still no Hera. There's still no answer. But I got to talk to somebody who swore to look like my mom and they said goodbye. So I guess I feel okay about it now. The end. Okay, that was weird. <laughs> yeah, yes, it yes. Was, it was, we got to wrap yeah. this up really quickly. We're not going to make this a two-part episode, and Lord knows we're not going to continue because we have no idea who's going to write next week's episode anyway. And they certainly mm -hmm. didn't know that we were going to kill Jordy's mom in this episode when they started writing next week's episode. So, I mean, it carries with it all the trappings of Gravitas, but this is not a show that does that. And so then when you try to tell me, oh, let's be sad for Jordy this week, but don't worry about it because there'll be no reason to be sad for him next week, so it's all good. I mean, it just it just... I wish it worked for me. I really do wish it worked for me because I'm tired of being the guy for the past, I guess, three or four episodes to say mm, no. But unfortunately, I feel like I have to say no. That doesn't mean there aren't messages here. What's uh, what messages did you pick up, sir? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the whole thing is this exploration of uh, grief and character and, you know, how Jordy is going to deal with this. Um, th there is also a message in there about the enemy not being the enemy. One of, one of those classic mm -hmm. tried and true Star Trek messages. Um, there's uh, sort of LaForge dealing with the reality of loss, which uh, came a bit from that Riker scene that uh, that I, I liked a bit more than you did. Um, there's grappling with regret and and sort of seizing the moment that we discuss in the LaForge and Troy scene, uh, which I thought was, um, you know, just a very real reaction to this. We, we prefaced it with uh, Jordy watching that message from his mother and then talking about how he hadn't been in touch with her in three weeks. So this is all real and relatable stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's another message in there. Don't be too quick to believe what you want to believe. Data says it outright to Jordy when he's about to go in for the last time. Consider the possibility that what you see isn't real. Mm -hmm. A valuable lesson uh, to be expressed by Data, and particularly to Jordy in this case, who so wants to see something, so wants to believe something, that he will see it no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what else? Uh, anything else in there? Well, let me really quickly say, because uh, I don't know if I said it well, the thing that bothers me about the conversation between Riker and LaForge is it feels mm -hmm. to me like Riker is doing two things in that situation that you're not supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And this is just based on, you know, different counseling stuff that I've heard and some classes I took a million years ago. Um, you don't say, I know how you feel. And you don't tell somebody how they should feel. Yeah. And I kind of think that Riker was doing both of those things. And I think that's why it, that's why it didn't work for me. Because he didn't, he didn't ask Jordy how he was doing. Really? I mean, he did earlier, but he didn't really this time. This time he came and he was like, so here's what happened to me. So get it together. It sort of felt like. And that's, I think that's why I had a difficult time with it. Mm -hmm. 
as far as your 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 take, uh, don't be too quick to believe what you want to believe. Um, yes, I'm there. That's a valuable lesson, I think, from this episode. Uh, and of course, there's what is becoming the age old next gen episode. It's okay if you break all the rules as long as what you did ended up benefiting somebody. Yeah, right. Right. Because, I, yeah. I, I, you know, because it should be remembered, what's going to go in Jordy's permanent record is not just that he disobeyed an order. He lost a starship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, granted, it was for these other things that said they were, you know, whatever. But again, as you pointed out, we've actually only got Jordy's word on that because we don't even have a recording of what was going on on that side. Right. Yeah. Jordy's yeah, just standing there going, uh, wait, exactly. wait, what? You're a what? Oh, Captain, <laughs> let me explain. Okay. And so I guess you can sort of put that in his record, too. Like, well, he says he saved some things that said they lived on this planet, but we'll never really know for sure. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Now, Roddenberry does all kinds of interesting things, all kinds of projects, including the podcast or maybe two or maybe three. So you can check out this show, along with Women at Warp and Priority One, all at podcast.roddenberry.com. Hey, and if you want to help support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, you can check out Trek FM. That's trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log, Gambit Part 1 and Gambit Part 2. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Ladies and gentlemen, the next voice you hear will be that of a fantastic entertainer, a great humanitarian, and my personal friend, for as long as I have been active. And transmission.